Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Secrets of the Sire. We talk comics, movies, TV, and pop culture every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Sire Studios digital network. That's youtube.com slash secrets of the sire, facebook.com slash secrets of the sire, twitch.tv slash secrets of the sire, secrets of the sire.com, and now we are on radiopublic.com as well. Tonight, Jessica Jones season three review. We look back at the Marvel Netflix legacy. Was it a pass or fail? And we welcome the creative talents behind the most outrageous wrestling book you've ever read, Invasion from Planet Wrestletopia. I am your host, Michael Dolce, as always joined by my cohort in crime, Mr. Hassan Godwin, Lord of the Radio Public himself. How you doing, sir? Uh, today is pretty good. Uh, it's a little oh. warm, though. A little warm. Okay. I can see clearly the, the glasses are gone. Which is, which is an inside joke that people aren't going to realize, but we, we had to record our interview on Monday, and I had to go to the eye doctor. So you're destroying you, the ambiance of the show. You you're will see. <laughs> you will see glasses, yeah. Mike Dolce. Uh, it, 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 the funny thing about me and glasses, if I wear glasses and a hat, I am unrecognizable. Like, that whole Clark Kent bit where people are like, yes. oh, Clark Kent, he just puts glasses on, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, it, it really works. You put glasses on me? People are like I, when people I, aren't I, expecting it. I think are. I think the problem with the high profile, the, the problem with Superman, is he's so high profile that you know after a while. Yeah. But I mean, I understand it was like the the, the 40s, the the 40s and the 50s. So you know, there was no uh, there was no high class, high quality uh, telephoto lens or anything like that. People could examine photographs. You would not be able to get away with Superman today. Superman would not be able to keep his uh, his uh, secret identity today. With all the social media oh, stuff. Oh, no. I don't think anybody would, right? I don't, no. I don't think anybody no. would. I think they, they actually... Bendis, Bendis actually does a good job in Ultimate Spider-Man of addressing this exact concern of being like, dude, you know, you're, you're easy to spot, you know? It's like... But I Ultimate think, Spider-Man, at least, he has a full body suit. Yes. You know? So there's still some... There, there's still some uh, skepticism as right. to who this person may or may not be. Yeah. But, I mean, Superman is just... You know, he's just full-facing it. You know, yeah. he's full face hair. He's got the curl. That's his only difference. Clark Kent doesn't have the curl. Superman yeah. has kind of curl. Yeah. It's like, all right, come on, dude. We all know. <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll, you know what? We'll all keep it. We'll keep your secret just as an inside joke. But uh, please, please, Mr. Kent, don't think we don't know. Right, you know? exactly. We really appreciate all your, all your work, but stop. You know? <laughs> we appreciate your work as Superman. Yes, we appreciate it. And, you know, maybe he's a good reporter. We never get a story about how good a writer he is, you know? We don't. We never know exactly what what stories he's broke. Maybe he... Perry maybe, White just has a like, thing for him. He's, he's pretty awful, actually. Yeah. Huh? He's just eye candy for The Office. <laughs> he's, he's a terrible writer, actually. He's just, <laughs> okay. That'll be my... So that'll be my hey, DC. We'll work on that, so we'll pitch that story to DC. DC, that's my Superman pitch. Come on, DC. <laughs> Perry White's got a thing for Clark Kent. Boom. Oh, now no, it's getting... Ooh. Wow. Well, it, we uh -oh. don't know if... That's uh, pretty... I can't tell you. I actually am not a Superman guy, so I couldn't even tell you if there is a... Don't give the whole story away, really. Don't Perry give White actually being married or not to a woman in real life, so I don't know. I you think he that. is. I don't. I think Jay Jonah is not. Well, no, no, Jay, no, no. Jay Jonah was married. Oh. Jay Jonah is, no, Jay, Jay Jonah is definitely married. He's definitely well, was married. married. I think she's dead now. I also think people don't care about this whatsoever. I think they came here. <laughs> it's comic books. Of course they care. They so care about Jessica everything. Jessica Jones season three review. That's Wait. too bad for them if they came here for that. That's, Which that's... I was about to tell, you, tell them. If you did, if you came here for that, we're actually not going to give you that. A, I'm still on season one. I have not even gotten through season uh, one, which is actually not a bad season. This is your show, man. You know, do the, do the due diligence, man. Do your homework. Mm. Do your homework, Mr. Dolce. I'm here instead. Well, no, that's what I got you for. I'm here instead to discuss the legacy of Marvel Netflix because Jessica Jones season three, essentially, Hassan, give your, give your, uh, give your three second review of season three and then we'll get again into the larger, more important question. Um... Three seconds in three words. 
if you if you use a conjunction. Should have been better. Mm. Um, listen, the the I've said this before. I had a, I have a friend, uh, and he was he was celebrating the end of network formatting on television shows. Yeah. Network television shows have usually typically maybe about 23, 22, 23 to 26 even. The first mm-hmm. season of Star Trek, of the, of the original series Star Trek, was I think 26 episodes. 26, and actually, if you watch that first season, most of the super uh, Star Trek episodes are in that first season. Most yeah. of the, the, the big famous Star Trek episodes are in the first season. 26 episodes of science fiction. To this day, if you watch it, if you get past the special effects, if you're not a if you're not one of these raging millennials on, uh, <laughs> on inventing the technology or whatever, if you get past the special effects, 26 episodes of absolute magnificent uh, television science fiction, right? In one season. Yeah. It's been like that pretty much all the way up to now, up to the last maybe five or six years, where the format suddenly got truncated into, you know, in order to justify it maybe for television seasons on cable, mm-hmm. uh, HBO. Uh, Showtime, these other, these other, which is pretty much where all this stuff started. Um, they reformatted everything into like down to 13, 10 to 13 episodes. And of course, now, uh, network television shows, as with the popularity of HBO and, and Showtime and, and uh, their limitless ability to entertain on a, um, on a cinematic basis, like they yeah. have nudity and, and uh, harsh language and all that stuff in their shows, network television tried really hard to compete and the, the 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 lesson they learned basically was okay we can also do only 13 episodes also we could just drop it down to that and then we could sell each show as a kind of mini series or a novelty show and piece of replacements that kind of so uh like i said my friend michael was like kind of really celebrating this because he's very much into like really strong stories and really you know really necessary content <laughs> like filler content you know, as network shows in order to fill out that 22-episode uh, quota. It's the Kim Bauer. They would have... The Kim Bauer yes. effect. Yeah. Based by a cougar for three episodes in season <laughs> Basically, when they, they have this, char- char- yeah, this character, they didn't really know what else to do with after season one. She was like... She was the bait in season one. In season two, it was like, uh, let's just have her get chased by a cougar. Let's have her get chased by Kevin Dillon uh, for a couple episodes, too. And then, yeah, yeah was, and then, and then replace, Kevin, Kev, replace Kevin Dillon with a cougar. Right. Um, and then, yeah, you have, um, you got, oh, you got clip shows. You got these, uh, clip, these shows, shows. clip shows have a place. Clip shows, yeah, but I mean, if you, I mean, look, like, I'm a science fiction geek, and I'm telling you, I really love, I love, love, love uh, the television show Stargate. Mm-hmm. Stargate SG-1. Yeah. You were notorious. For, they would have two or three clip shows a year. <laughs> they were notorious for it. It got it got tedious after a while. You do clip shows, or you do um, you have like situations like in Lost where they open the hatch like in three episodes. It yes, took, they would they would have the same yeah, cliffhanger of opening the hatch. Yeah. So he's so Michael is celebrating this the fact that you get a thirteen season you get thirteen episode season. It will it will have no fat on it. It will have no uh, Kim effect. It will have no. Uh, um, uh, opening the bunker or whatever that the 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 hatch opening the hatch, the hatch yeah. uh, in Lost, you'll have no uh, uh, clip shows, anything like that. It'll just be straightforward story, and it would be so. Now, my contention with I did not disagree with him, but my I, my thought was: look, if we accept them giving us less episodes a year, yeah, they're not going to be like, okay, they've we got we got them to accept uh, thirteen episodes a season. So now we have to make sure those 13 episodes are quality episodes. We have to. That is, that is our mission statement. We're not going to get that. We're going to get um, 13 episodes where probably eight of those episodes are good. And the, other, the, remaining, you know, the remaining four or five episodes are going to be uh, the Kim Effect or, yeah. or clip shows or something terrible. Um, and it's actually gotten worse than I than I actually predicted because now we're getting we're not even getting thirteen episodes a year. Uh, very famously, Westworld season two took two years. Right. Game of Thrones season eight took two years. 
uh, Daredevil season three took two, three years before right. before we actually saw it. And uh, when they come out, you're like, okay, well, it took them two years to do it. They needed those two years to, to give us some stuff. You're hoping, you're hoping that's the case. Yeah, well, you, that, that, that's your logic, right? If you take, right. if your that boss gives you a job, job, right, right. If your boss gives you a project and you actually successfully appeal to your boss to give you right. more time to finish the project, your boss is naturally has a right to expect that that project be top quality. Right. You know, when you finally bring it in because of the, because of the allotted time. Not the case. Westworld season two, in my opinion. Oh, awful. Awful. Terrible. Yeah, yeah awful. and not even worth the two years I waited. To see it. It's 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 supposedly, and it's like it's like having, and we'll use the album analogy too. I mean, it's like when a band, you know, first breaks through, they've been working on that that breakthrough album for years. You know, it's pent up frustration. It's touring on the road. It's struggling in their in their everyday life, and they come out with this album. And it's amazing, and then the record studio is like, okay, great, do it again, like right away. And you're like, whoa, whoa, I, you know, I need to. Yeah. You know, build I need, I need to build up another yeah. 10 years of life right, experience. I mean, right, to do it. So you figure that by giving these creators the amount of time, I agree, when Westworld came out season two, I was like, well, this is going to be amazing because they're not going to fall into the trap of just, of just having to do it all over again. Meanwhile, using 24 as an example, they did that every single year. And seasons two through five are unbelievable. Like they did, they did it for, for four the Kim, consecutive. For the Kim episodes. <laughs> you know, it was so good you could forgive that. <laughs> uh, and, and you can make a joke about it, but the actual, um, but yeah, the actual uh, result was so good that, yeah, no, it was fine. Like it was absolutely fine. Um, there was, there was no, uh, to be honest was, with you, what you just said, season one through five, to be honest with you, I mean, yeah. I don't know how much more people are expecting other than five, five good years of a television show, you know? Once you I mean, get they, into they went on for nine. So, I, mean, they, they I know that's what I'm yeah. saying. But once you get into season six to seven to eight to nine, right. you're you're in the weeds, you know, because the novelty is kind of wearing off. Mm -hmm. so you, yeah. you probably train, change your writing staff two or three times in that. Oh yeah, you, you, that, I mean, you lose your best writers to they go off and develop their own shows. Right, I mean, you know, right. That so definitely I mean, happens too. You get five good years out of it out of a television right. show. You are you know you are in the minority. You know right, you are right. in rareness. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so, so you know, Game of Thrones, we already know the result of the two years we had to wait for season eight, right? I mean, yeah. look, well, I liked it. I didn't mind the season, but, yeah, I cannot argue. Uh, but of quality, it's not as good as, as it was in the Not past. at all. Uh, and the truncation, is, it's almost, it's almost in the unexplained why they decided to do it like that. So, really, what, the, you're, what you're saying, yeah, and what you're saying actually touches upon a great topic which is what i wanted to actually get into uh, beyond jessica jones season three because quite frankly i don't care about jessica jones season three and i don't mean that to uh, be I don't flippant to i don't mean to be, i don't mean it to be flippant i cared about marvel it. netflix as a whole so i got this off of uh uh the io9 website the conflicted legacy of the marvel netflix experiment with the release of jessica jones's third and final season a tv experiment four years in the making is over whether laid low by Disney's own streaming plans or because simply it began to be more trouble than it was worth for Netflix, its legacy is now etched in stone, chasing a comic book weirdness that it once proudly eschewed. Uh, they go into detail about the history of it, you know, how Marvel, the movies, started getting a little weirder as things went on. You know, mm -hmm. they, they say, how is Marvel going to make a talking raccoon in a tree that says its name over and over actually work? And then it did. Mm -hmm. At that time, was when we first got Daredevil, and it was a breath of fresh air. It was right. this gritty, uh, down-to-earth, grounded tone as Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock limped and punched his way through the Kingpin's thugs in that bloodied, slick first season. And it was the boldest statement a Marvel show could make at the time. It was a street-level story, away from the sheen and glitz of Avengers Tower, one that didn't need elaborate superpowers or cosmic beings to sparkle. Uh, that was followed up quickly by Jessica Jones, which also, helmed by Melissa Rosenberg, uh, was like a one-two punch, and it was equally daring to mirror the Marvel formula. By the time we got to the end, though, of the Marvel Netflix experiment, can you honestly say that there's been more hits than misses in the universe? You had Luke Cage, which, again, kind of started out really good, but again, fell into that same trap, which is what you're kind of saying. I mean, honestly, they could have told Luke Cage in five episodes. They could have told... Punisher was actually pretty good. I think Punisher was one of the one series in Netflix that you know that Netflix did, where there wasn't as much filler as in other uh, seasons and other episodes. However, 
the first season of Punisher is not the Punisher. First season of Punisher is 24, which I appreciate. It's not the Punisher. Second season of the Punisher, though, first three episodes are unbelievable. And then it takes yeah, like eight episodes to get, to get to the very end, which, you know, again. I just, it, it seems like there's a, there was a, a serious reluctance to actually, it's, it's really weird. It's a victim of its own success. And it, 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 I don't understand why nobody, the one lesson you can learn, the one, because I mean, look, we don't really know all the logistics that go into the MCU. We don't. We, we all like to say we do. We all like to speculate. We all, oh, Kevin Feige did this, you know, this and this. We don't know. We do, there, there are some things that we do know on top, on the, on the surface, but we don't know what they have to go through behind the scenes in order to make, that, make the MCU happen, right? Yeah. Fair enough. And I'm not even implying any kind of nefarious stuff. I'm saying... Just in general, we just we, we don't know the in, the inner workings of the industry well enough, or their their branch of the industry well enough to know exactly what the formula is that actually works. But the one thing that we do know, the one thing that is uh, that is indisputable, is that they adhere to canon, you know, to 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 the best extent, uh, you know, they as they, they adapt comic books into into live action movies, they adhere as best they can mm-hmm. to the comic book continuity and then they adhere to their own canon so if they change any continuity or whatever they they alter things they stick with whatever choices they've made in order to alter it so there's there's tremendously tight continuity in uh, within the mcu within all the movies of the mcu for 20 movies they managed to hold on to this which right. is one of the most important things ever all right not only that, but they bring some kind of real-life character quality and some pathos to all of our main characters, Iron Man especially, but also, like, you know, um, uh, Thor, also Captain America, which is, you know, I think the triumph of the entire MCU just because of how, how cynical, uh, you know, we all are, all were about Captain America when we first heard they were going to do a movie. And yeah. then we saw it, it kind of won us over, and won us over completely organically. Without any tricks or trickery, it was sure. an absolutely great story, and it won us over. Mm-hmm. And Chris Evans, you can't take anything away from Chris Evans. But also, MCU is not afraid to have their superheroes do superhero stuff. They're not afraid of it. So they, they imbue their, their, their characters with character, with, uh, right. you know, with, uh, with big C characters. They're small C characters. Right. They imbue them with big C character. They have pathology. They have they have, right. you know, uh, uh, you know, goals and purposes and lamentations and stuff like that. And then also they can summon lightning with a hammer. You right. know, they can. Some of them can fly. Some of them have a uh, you know impressive genius. Some of them turn into green big green monsters that can knock over buildings. Do you know what's funny though? Wait, but do you know what's funny? The point that you're making though is actually one of the things I didn't like about Marvel Netflix though. This I is what I'm that. saying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to circle around to it. I'm okay. saying that the Marvel Netflix shows didn't seem to want to learn this lesson. They wanted to get as far away from the superhero aspect of these characters as possible, and they use them as these like strange novelties that they that they occasionally remember. Like I remember, like one of the main points of Jessica Jones is that everybody forgets that she's got super strength and that she could fly. They almost played down the fact that she could fly. Right. You, know, you, you never notice that. Um, Definitely, I mean, Daredevil was all about being Daredevil. You really couldn't get away from that. But right. Age, you know, they use... Yeah, but I mean, Daredevil, see, see I actually disagree with you. And it's funny because you're actually... Well, the first season was all about the, the pathology, not of Matt Murdock, mostly, but about how, right. he, how he works in being Matt Murdock with also being the nighttime vigilante. Right. You know? But I'm so, just saying, it's funny. This article is actually agreeing 100% with what you're saying. In that, in that, in that, in that, the Marvel universe started really going toward the weird, embracing the superhero aspect, embracing the intergalactic, and mm-hmm. they basically could get away with anything. And then Marvel Netflix kept kind of like hinting they were at afraid. it. Afraid. It seems like they were right. afraid of it. Why? I why actually have to say in the opposite direction. Why was he out of his uniform in, in season three of Daredevil? Why didn't he have his costume on? Why didn't he go back to the black costume? Why? I mean, I don't well, understand. Season, Why would- season two was as close to comic booky as you're going to get, and it was panned. Iron Fist is another example of, of, of a, an attempt to get into that weirdness and just never kind of reaching it. Now, it could be, it could be budgets. 
I mean, that's the, that's the thing that the movie well, also over a TV show. And, and I got to be honest with you. I enjoyed all of these shows much more when they didn't even like when Jessica Jones first unveils her, you know, super strength in the, in the first episode of, of the first season, I actually was kind of like, I kind of wish she didn't even have superpowers. Well, then there's, there's, therein lies the problem. It's like people, right. like, well, why were you watching Jessica Jones? You see what I mean, I'm saying? It, right. I, I know what you're saying, but I actually kind of love the idea that there is, and, and I know it's not these characters, so I'm not saying that they should be these characters. I love the idea of everyday people existing in the Marvel universe, you know, being in how long can you keep that going? Oh, I don't know. Well, obviously four years. <laughs> Obviously, four. not even. I mean, it, not 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 one of them got past three seasons. So you couldn't even get it, keep it going for three for four seasons of a right. show, right? So like not. And then, and then the last of each season, the last either the second season when it comes to Luke Cage and uh, and Iron Fist, or the or and and uh, uh, the Punisher, or the third season when it comes to Jessica Jones and Daredevil, right? Uh, are, are you know are are considered inferior product, like 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 seriously inferior products. I saw um I think Grace Randolph did a did a kind of review of uh, Jessica Jones. She didn't finish it. She did a review. She did a non spoiler review. I think of the first eight episodes, the first one to eight, and she says or one to yeah episode one to eight. Yeah, and she said it. It really doesn't start going, you know, I, I was really worried about it until I got to episode eight, and then it really started to take off, so I'm really excited about the rest of it. I'm like, wait a minute, eight hours in, technically? Know. You know, eight, eight 45-minute interval? You know what's interesting? You have to wait for the right. show to, to, to kind of to get off the ground? That's right. not an you know endorsement. The thing, though, too, is the fact that the Netflix formula is also something that plays a role here, right? It's the binge formula. It's we just have to get you... To, to hang around for five seconds after the show ends because the next one will start and you have to just hang on till until that next one starts because then we'll, then we'll keep you going. And it almost becomes, you know, this zombie like matrix like affiliation. It's not just Marvel Netflix. It's all Netflix shows. I mean, that's essentially like I am racing. Like when I'm showing cartoons to my kids on Netflix, I'm racing to make sure I, I turn it off before that next one starts. I have five seconds to grab the remote hit the menu button, get it out of that, you know, get it off that show. Because if the next one starts and I turn it off, oh, there's, there's fireworks going on. You know what I mean? Ah, daddy, turn that back on. So, but it's the same. It doesn't matter if it's a little kid. It's the same thing. It's like once that next thing starts, that's all they need to do. Let me ask you a question. Because I, I have a story here also that says Kristen Ritter uh, officially shuts down Jessica Jones' revival talk. Um, and she says, I don't think so. This is reported by IndieWire. Uh, oh, sorry, this is reported by TV Line. Do I think I'll play her again? I don't think so. I feel like I've played her, you know? I feel really good about it. I feel good about closing the door. You know, plus there is a deal uh, in development. Uh, sorry, the deal means a potential Jessica Jones revival. This is a deal that Marvel has with Netflix. They would not even be allowed to develop anything until two years after cancellation. So 2021 would be the earliest any of these shows could come back. Do you think That's any of the shows... Now, considering how, how quickly the years pass, you know? Well... That's true. Two years is not necessarily like a mountain. It's not Mount Everest of time to, to, to get something going in. Uh, do you feel that you're going to get a revival of any of these shows? And if so, if you had to pick one, we post this on, on Facebook and, and, and put it out there. Which one would you bring back if you could? And would you bring any of them back? Um, I think I'd posted, uh, I would posted, I would marry Jessica Jones and Luke Cage together, the two shows together, ah. um, because, because they have a you know they have, uh, they don't don't they have a aren't they married in the comic book in Alias and then they have a they have a kid, yeah. And I would put that together because you can get all of Luke Cage's uh, story and his villains, and all of Jessica Jones and her and her story and her villains together, kind of uh, in in one right really solid season. Um, and I would either choose that if you were going to have that caveat of mixing the two of those together. And then you could also get Iron Fist in there. You can get all the good stuff in a Jessica Jones season four and a re in a, in a kind of a reboot. Yeah. Yeah, no, you could, you, you had the page, you, you would be able to justify having Iron Fist in it. And then you could have, you can have Colin wing, uh, Colleen wing, and you could have a uh, Missy Knight, and you could have a lot of, I mean, it could, it could be, it could be a serious, serious television show. Um, 
Or I would you know, do. You know what? But again, you know what's really funny? I would love it if they if they just kind of delved into their relationship more. I would actually love it if they were more grounded and more gritty than anything else. Well, you're contradicting the. I mean, that's the problem. Well, I'm, contradicting, is. I'm contradicting the article. My opinion was I actually really enjoyed the shows before they started to get into the weird. Daredevil season two is clearly, you know, as low a bar as Iron Fist set. But I don't think I don't think that's because in context of the rest of the shows, you don't have to embrace weird. It's not that's that's another problem with it. Right? They're not weird. They're comic books. You know, they're 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 superheroes. That's not yeah. that's to call it the weird is is to deny the the impetus that that got them created in the first place. Sure. Okay. I'm I'm I'll, you know? I'm using the term that they used on the uh, yeah, the, and then the, and then uh, and that shows weird. the article that's that shows how to, how out of touch everybody is in trying to assess this particular situation. Why would you watch a superhero show right. if you're going to consider the superhero aspect of that show weirdness? Why would anybody – what would attract people? The thing that would attract people to a show about a superhero comic book is that you would, uh, you would get a superhero comic book, all right? And then all of the grittiness would be, you know, would be the cherry on top. Do you, do you know what's added, funny, though? Added bonus. But if you're going to treat the comic book aspect of these shows as a weird aspect, that they want to keep as minimal as possible, then you're actually negating the full purpose of why that show, why the, why the product, why the, the, the intellectual property, why the franchise was created in the first place. Well, that's kind of, it's funny though. I know you're saying that, but like at the same time, uh, did you ever watch Zach and Miri make a porno? That movie with uh, Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks, like a couple, it came out like ten years ago. I think it was like, it was a Kevin Smith movie. Yeah. I always tell people, I'm like, I love that movie up until they made a porno. <laughs> once once they got into the actual like gimmick of the movie i was like it, it completely you know it went from this amazing dynamic seth rogan had with uh with elizabeth banks and i'm hoping that she was in it because i'm picturing her in it but maybe it's somebody else in it. it is elizabeth banks i think it's elizabeth yeah. they had an amazing chemistry their relationship had me just like it was almost like watching clerks again where I was so engrossed with the characters themselves and, and the interplay between them that once they got to the gimmick of making a porno, I was like, oh, this movie sucks. Did you keep that up for five seasons, though, without them actually making the porno? No. Promise I, I, of the story of the title of the story? But I think what ends up happening is, is that once you have a gimmick, right, once you have this, this thing that you can put into it, I think creatively, sometimes your mind, it, it's almost like, it's almost like you have too much to work with at that point. And then no, you, you also... There's your, there's your problem. Right. You're thinking the main product, the, the main focus, the main point of the story is a gimmick. It's not. I don't, but I don't think that should be the main... I don't think that is ever the main point. The main why would, point, why wouldn't like, the first Daredevil is Daredevil be the main aspect of his story? That's, you know that's the main like, aspect. Like Batman. Be, him being Batman is the main reason... That you watch Batman. Yeah, but this could be me though too, right? I used to love reading Amazing Spider-Man because I really wanted to find out what's going to happen with him and Mary Jane. Like I really wanted to find out if he was going to get that, uh, you know, if he's going to get... Then why don't you like the Netflix shows? No, I do, but I don't, think, I don't think that they adhere to what they started with. I thought Daredevil Season 1 was unbelievable. I thought Punisher was as close to it as they've gotten. I thought Jessica Jones Season 1 is also very close to it. Um, I, I, what, though? What, what exactly were you looking for? No, no, I mean, just just attracting my level of, of attention and, and... But, I mean, how? I understand that they, they, well, they caught your attention, but, I mean, what about it caught your attention? If you want to hire me, I'll, I'll, I'll write you some TV that works. Don't worry. I'm not going to give away my secrets. Why are we discussing this, then? Well, because I think it's an interesting question, though. Is is and if you're not going to talk to me about it, that's what I address to. That's no, but we we did talk about it, and I and that's why I address to everyone else too. It's like if you could bring back one, would you? And which one would you bring back? We only got. I understand. That. I, understand. I get what you're saying, but then then when I give my assessment of why it would work, you say it would work, or that you liked it in, in some other way, and then you kind of dispute what I'm saying, and then I ask you, okay, how would you make it work? Now you're saying you don't want to talk about it because it's your secret. So it's kind of a, it's like, it's a Marinese knot. So I don't want to, you know, I, I, nah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this doesn't, I, I've already st stopped being able to follow what you just said. Uh, we had a couple of folks chime in, uh, mostly daredevil seemed to be everything. Uh, but there was a few people 
Jonathan London, former guest on the show, finish Iron Fist now that season two fixed the show. And Brent Fowler, uh, who is the uh, letter extraordinaire on Descendant, uh, the book I did at Image, he just said Iron Fist, and I just thought, you just like to be different, right? Because no one, no one wants to bring Iron Fist back, but these two gentlemen do. Uh, Amy Salzman uh, and Tia Fabi went with uh, Punisher, which, which is a given. Tia, Tia we knew Punisher because she was a big Punisher fan. Uh, I, I, would, I, would, I would say that the most likely to come back would be Daredevil. I think Daredevil fits into the rest of the universe just so much easier than the other characters that I could see Daredevil you know, just being the easiest one to bring back. Punisher, I would actually bring back with a taller Punisher. Uh, I, look, I love John Berthel's Punisher. I love that they almost got, they almost did a real Punisher show in season two. The first three episodes was a real Punisher show. It was, it was, was the, the actual Punisher character at its best. And you said you didn't want that, though. So it's weird. <laughs> no, that's what I want, though. That's what I'm saying. But I mean, you're, you're saying that you don't want the characters to be the characters. No, no, no. I don't want... So Punisher's different, right? Punisher has no superpowers. Oh, all right. You got to give that caveat then. Well, of course it's... Well, but it's, it's obvious. Punisher has no superpowers. He's just the best there is at killing. And that's what he lives to do. And, and I love it. It was a struggle. But that's, but that's the focus of his comic book though, right? Yes. And that's the focus of... Okay. So, so what I'm saying basically is if you negate the purpose of why the comic books were created in order to do your television show, you're getting away from the core aspect of what makes the what made the the the, the product or the, the the franchise worthy of being created in the first place. To me, to right? me, like Wolverine never using his claws, you know, which is pretty much the equivalent of what we were getting with the with the Marvel Netflix shows of like him using his claws only in episode nine of the season, so they could build up to it. And you're not really getting all right. So, I, so what I'm hearing you say is to integrate it more. I don't disagree with that. I, I always looked at superpowers, the superpowers aspect as a backdrop, though, for people dealing with just everyday and that's, life. And that's the opposite of what the MCU did. And then the MCU right. is, is ragingly successful, and everything else, well, everything else, these <laughs> DCU... Probably, probably shows why we're on a uh, above-average podcast, see? The DCU, the, um, the, 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 the Fox uh, X-Men, the, the Sony Spider-Man, right. everything... Right. has basically fail because they keep treating all of these main uh, focus and focal points of all these uh, of, of these franchises they have as kind of a backdrop as kind of a novelty uh, everybody wants a drama we want spider-man and we want the amazing spider-man stalking Gwen Stacy for two and a half hours <laughs> in his spider-man suit rather than him being spider-man right in dealing with aspects of what it is to be spider-man all right, well, chime in, folks. Uh, we are on the comments feed. Please chime in on Facebook.com slash Secrets of the Sire. We are also commenting on YouTube.com slash Secrets of the Sire. Is Hassan completely off base? Is he wrong? Is no. he not correct? No, Am I always right? These are the only questions I will field and nothing else. When we come back, you get to watch me in glasses interviewing Ed Kunal and Matt Enton, creators of Invasion from Planet WrestleTopia. It's an amazing book. Uh, it's, it's a new graphic novel from Suspicious Behavior Productions. Uh, they do, it's, it's really awesome. I can't actually stress enough. They sent it over to me, and I generally, and, I'll, and I've told them this. I don't generally do this, but just loved it. I thought the book was amazing. Uh, get to hear about it. Get to hear about the creators. Get to find out their favorite wrestlers when we come back. Do you like comic books and movies like the Avengers? How about TV or pop culture like Game of Thrones or Star Wars? Then you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm Michael Dolce, host of the Secrets of the Sire podcast. Joined every week by my co-host, Hassan, Lord of the Radio Godwin, we bring you the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. And you never know who will drop by to chat. To date, we've welcomed actors Kevin Bacon, Paul Reiser, True Blood's Christina Anapow, and Buffy's Nicholas Brendan to the show. We've been privileged to interview rockers Chris Cornell, Macy Gray, Billy Corgan, and more. And we've even had Jackie the Joke Man himself from Howard Stern in studio to share some laughs. So join us every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on youtube.com slash secrets of the sire for brand new episodes. Take a moment, subscribe to our channel, and be on the lookout for some major new announcements coming soon. For more info, log on to secretsofthesire.com. 
Welcome back to Secrets of the Sire. Again, we do this every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, streaming live on the Sire Digital Network, which is youtube.com slash secrets of the sire, facebook.com slash secrets of the sire, twitch.tv slash secrets of the sire. You can always download our podcast after the fact on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, pretty much everywhere, and radiopublic.com. I am excited to be joined uh, by my two guests, Mr. Matt Enton and Ed Cuno. I totally butchered your name, right? No, you got pretty darn close. I think you <laughs> close enough for me. Like, I wouldn't have said anything. You know, as a professional, I should have asked you before we went uh, on the air how to pronounce your name, but people just kind of know that I'm, I'm prone to butchering names, so it's just, it's just yeah. part of the spiel now. You got mine right. <laughs> it's all my uh, He's got his name right. <laughs> so you guys have an incredible uh, background in the professional industry. We'll get to that in a second, but I want to put the focus on the book itself. Now, I will confess, I am not a wrestling fan, and we do actually get, which is kind of cool, makes us feel like we're important, a lot of solicitations to like, hey, review our book, review our book, and take a look, and whatever, and I look at it in two seconds, and I'm like, meh. Your guys book which is uh a wrestling comic which is which is pretty awesome uh called invasion from planet wrestletopia from suspicious behavior productions which is you guys um has got me it got me so intrigued and i read the issues i was like we got to get these guys on this was actually just a lot of fun uh talk to us we'll throw it open to either matt or ed talk to us about how did this come about and just give our readers a 30 second elevator pitch for the book itself Okay, I'll uh, start. The elevator pitch is a disgruntled professional wrestler mm-hmm. declares himself galactic champion of the universe while cutting a promo, kind of as a goof, piss off his promoter. But of course, the TV signal goes out into outer space, and 15 years later, it reaches a planet of alien wrestlers who see this as a declaration of war. So that's Nation from Planet WrestleTopia in a nutshell. That's right. Yep, that's awesome. And, yeah. and how did you guys get together, and how did this concept even come about? Well, we met in the video game industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, we were co-writers on Leisure Suit Larry, Magna Cum Laude, mm-hmm. uh, PS2, PC, and Xbox, so quite some time ago. Um, <laughs> and uh, we got laid off, and we found ourselves <laughs> a lot of time on our hands. <laughs> and we really liked working together, so we started writing screenplays together. Mm-hmm. And um, this was the second screenplay that we wrote as a writing team. Um, kind of grew out of Ed just had this concept, alien wrestlers and steel cage on Earth, and <laughs> not, much, not much outside of that. But the the image of a steel cage around Earth was compelling enough that I, yeah. you know, like, I think we both kind of like knew this is something we need to explore. And um, this has been, you know, almost 10 years in the making and it's, it's you know, it's, it's gone through several drafts of a screenplay. It was a teleplay for uh-huh. a series at one point. And then finally Ed said, look, you know, this, we need to put this out in the world in some form. Yeah. And the most affordable realistic way to do this is as a comic book series. Mm-hmm. Um, so we self-published the first two issues, and then uh, we were very fortunate. Um, Ed lives in Portland, which has sort of become, you know, the capital of the indie comic scene. Yep. And uh, that's where we, you know, met the fine people at Starburns Industries Press. So talk to us about the process of putting together the self-published uh, books. Is it the same uh, incarnation of the first two issues? that was picked up or did you end up getting, uh, end up getting it redrawn? Um, and if not, if it is the same, you know, talk to us about acquiring the artist. Cause I know a lot of people out there are like, I want to start my own comic and I don't know, but I can't draw. How do I do this? Uh, we do nothing of comics. <laughs> there is a, like Matt said, a lot of, uh, comic professionals here. I went and took Ben Dewey to lunch and, and Ben, well, I think a lot of people know Ben Dewey, the, uh, an artist does a lot mm-hmm. of work for dark horse and, um, beast of burden uh, most recently 
And he he kind of laid it out for me. Like, we didn't even know what a flatter was. I didn't know <laughs> he had to be flattened. But he just kind of broke down the process. Okay. We found um, all the, you know, all the talent, all the artists that we needed here in town. So Dan Scotty was the artist on the first mm-hmm. three. Marissa Louise, our colorist, very talented. Uh, letterer is uh, Dave Lanfear for the first three issues. Yep. We found most of those people here, you know, in our back, in my backyard anyway. And um, it was kind of like, you, we were just, you know, finding the artists. There's a lot of talent out there. Oh, yeah. You have to have money to pay them. Yes, so, you do. <laughs> and then they have to, you, our quality. Damn those rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our qualifications were kind of like, A, we think their art looks cool. Mm -hmm. B, they will return our email. And (laughs) C, we have enough money. We can afford to pay them. Um, So that's how, I mean, it was really that simple, quote unquote. And they they were pretty on board for it. And Mm -hmm. I think for our part, at least, our, our years spent in video games had trained us pretty well on how to stay up top of the production process. If you're a writer in video games, you're not just sitting there writing all day. You're yeah. wearing a lot of hats. So I think we were actually for, for a couple beginners, pretty darn good at, at, you know, putting together a script mm-hmm. that made sense. And then being able to kind of herd all the cats that you have to herd to get issues done. And when Starburns picked us up, no, it's, it's um, geez. I mean, we were not going to pay to have anything like changed. Like, you know, we were just like, but they, just wanted to, <laughs> they just wanted to republish the first two issues kind of yep. as it, and then, and now with issue three, that's the um, first one that they've released for us. And we're now moving forward. And uh, um, it's, that's about it. It, it, it is, difficult to get comics made because you know it, it, writing a script is one thing and then as, as i'm sure you know the, the art is so much work involved in mm-hmm. in creating the art and there is there's is a few moving parts nothing like a video game but there are some moving parts that you have to stay on top of um i mean it just takes just takes time and money right that's all what, what was the what was the process of writing uh a comic book for you guys versus writing in the video game industry or writing a screenplay i mean it's the same but it's different right it's easier <laughs> i mean i mean it was new to us so there are certain conventions of storytelling in, mm-hmm. in the comic medium uh that we had to contend with um but video games, you know, so, you know, we, as a team, we've, we wrote a slasher comedy called Lumberjack Man. So, so we've, we've kind of, we've dabbled in, in just about everything except TV at this point. Um, but video games, because of their interactivity, mm-hmm. are exceptionally difficult. Yeah. Uh, your average video game, you're writing about the equivalent of six film scripts in terms wow. of. Um, and this is just like a static medium. There's no branching, you know, dialogue. There's, you know, the, the, it's, it's one story you're telling and it's, and it's linear. And I don't know. It, but there were definitely, like, we sort of, we really lean on our artists. Um, Dan Scotty for the first three. Ken Good for the, the second three. Um, because there are just certain ways of storytelling. And yeah. you know, while we were comic book fans, that we don't notice that a, that you know a seasoned comics artist would, and so yeah. we sort of give them free reign to be like, look, you know, we can do this, and you know, you have this as seven panels, we can do this as four, mm-hmm. you know, or let's do this as a double page spread. Yeah, um, we we kind of lean on them because everyone we work with has you know has worked in the industry for I don't know minimum seven eight years, and we're brand spanking new. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. It's good to get a fresh perspective every uh, every once in a while. Talk to me about video game writing too, because that's something. You know, it's funny because as comic book people that we are, that Hassan and I are, we've been in the industry for a long time. I always laugh when they're like, "You need to pay someone to letter the book." You need to. What do you mean? What do you mean? One person doesn't do everything. <laughs> and yet, when I when I heard and, and and I read your bio that you guys are video game writers, I'm like, "Oh yeah, there's writers on video games." Like so. You know, how does that, you know, how does that process, A, how does one get involved in that uh, to begin with? And B, you know, what is the process of writing a video game? You kind of mentioned a little bit, which was great. Uh, you started talking about the different branches and things like that. I mean, I, I'm fascinated by the element, uh, you know, 
by that entire platform of video game writing. I, I think as far as like how you, you get into it, I think Matt and I were, were sort of part of a generation um, back in the early 2000s when the first 3D consoles came out. Mm-hmm. Also, the bar for storytelling in games was, was starting to get higher. It mm-hmm. was an expectation. So we were part, I think, of a whole generation of, of really game designers who were mostly hired to you know to to come up with the, this the set of features and work with the artists and programmers to implement them and create you know the gameplay experiences that you'll have but then out of out of that out of the game design sort of profession became that that off that sub-profession of you know what they call a narrative designer someone's got to be in charge of the story and and how and where and when we'll tell the story throughout the course of a of, of a video game and so we were sort of already in the industry working as game designers and we were, we were part of this generation that, that slowly kind of went in that direction of we're going to focus on story and uh, dialogue. Yeah. Um, so it, it, yeah, we were game designers first and then, and then became writers. I think it's a little bit different if you're jumping into it today. Yeah. I actually get asked a lot, you know, how, how you get into it, how you get like younger people or newer writers. And it's, it's, um, it's different. It, it, it it's hard to break. It's it, like anything else is hard to break in. Oh yeah. You make, well, I should qualify that. I mean, with, with a comic book, you can sort of, you know, if you're an artist, you can draw, or if you can get together with an artist, you can make a comic book and mm-hmm. the production, it, it's so much easier. You know, the barriers to entry are so much easier. Sure. Comic book. And then, well now, yeah, now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, Hassan, we, I mean, you know, I self-published The Sire in 2006, and that's going back. Yeah, in the last 10 oh, years. And I mean, when, when we first got our start, not to, not to step on anything, um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the 90s, in the late 90s, it was kind of hard because of uh, gatekeepers. Like, there was, yeah. like, Diamond, a couple of other yeah. uh, companies were, were standing in the way, so you couldn't just publish something. I mean, now it's absolutely... Yeah. It's, it's the sky's the limit now. It's absolutely easy now. But I mean, a, a little less than 10 years ago, it was a yeah. completely different story, I, even I, comic books. I would say games are somewhat similar, like, you know, the, the, with things like Unity and Unreal, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff being available yeah. to the public for almost free and and things like the, you know, the, the iStore, you know, the Apple uh, Store. You can put mm-hmm. your game up. It, it, the barriers for entry for games have also uh, been lowered, but they're still so much more labor intensive than comic books. And I think expensive, so much more expensive to make on average. Yeah. I got no, I got no argument against that. Comics are expensive. I mean, comic comics in them, in and of themselves, uh, you know, is, is expensive and it's time consuming, but it's not, it's not nearly on the level of uh, video games. Yeah. It's right. not, it's not on that level of complexity by any stretch of the imagination. Because you do see now these sort of uh, one one person shows like Stardew Valley, yeah. Undertale. These games just developed by a single person. But if you've, I don't I don't know about Toby Fox's experience making Undertale, but I read like the the. the designer the developer diary on stardew valley and that guy was working like 18 hours a day for like three straight years and it paid <laughs> off ultimately but it could just have easily have gone nowhere yeah and it's it, it's by the time you get it done you know the technology's already moved ahead another generation by the yeah. time you get your work done <laughs> after, after spending you know x amount of years all by yourself building something but it, you know it the the novelty is that you did it alone but the technology may have already moved past you so it's it's kind of a crazy game i've been studying uh it on on the side so that's that's why i'm a little uh i know a little bit about it but very little i'm changing diapers on the side that's essentially that's 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 why i'm able to study it that's where my free time goes right now yeah you're busy Uh, being a dad who's the bigger wrestling fan of the two of you let's get into the nuts and bolts of uh, of wrestletopia who's the bigger wrestling fan um it's funny so matt and i kind of going through stages i don't think either one of us really watches it (laughs) (laughs) we we, so we for me i was i was obsessed with it i would have to say like if you were to to meet you know as a kid in the 70s and 80s Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I was obsessed. Like I, I had a bedroom, which for, for whatever reason, the, where one wall was entirely layered with corkboard and I covered every square <laughs> inch with a wrestling poster or sure. you know, something from, I, th- I thought you were about to say you practiced wrestling in your room with the corkboard. Oh, like, no. <laughs> like, like you were going to slam people across <laughs> the wall. <laughs> I thought I was going to be a wrestler. You know, I was obsessed. I would go buy back issues. I mean, I'm, I'm like a kid and I'm combing through the you know, piles of old magazines at mm-hmm. uh, shady old bookstores and I'm ignoring the pornography so I can look at the rest. <laughs> of the um, uh, I don't know. You know and, and then of course I don't, you know, I fell off of it. Um, and honestly, for me, it was, it was, I, I'm not one of those people that thinks, oh, wrestling is sucks now that kayfabe is over. I, I don't think that at all. But for me, I mean, I was getting into it at such a young age and I thought it was real. Okay. Really thought it was real for a long time. And then gradually started kind of figuring, yeah, okay, I, I, I've seen a real fight. I don't think these are real fights. <laughs> <laughs> But then, but then when they sort of pulled the curtain back, it really had an effect on me. It, was, it wasn't anything intentional. Mm-hmm. I wasn't bitter about it, but I was just kind of like, oh, man, you know, maybe I should, I should see what girls are about or something. <laughs> uh, and then Matt had a different experience, a totally different experience with it. Yeah, I would say Ed at his peak was probably a bigger <laughs> wrestling fan than I was. Um, but possibly I was, I was a wrestling fan for a more extended period of time. Sure. Um, you know, there's seven years between us. So our sort of, he, Ed, so when, when Ed was a kid, it was sort of the, the territories era. Um, and when I was a kid, the WWF, now the WWE had okay. really exploded. Um, I guess it would be the rock and wrestling era. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and I, I would watch just as much as I could. Me, you know, my brother and I used to, used to wrestle on my parents' bed cause they had like a king size bed and we used to, you know, like try to like imitate, you know, the various finishers on that. We must have demolished that, that, <laughs> um, you should have put corkboard up. What were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, solve all and, your problems. Yeah. And I, and I watched it like through, you know, from like the time I was maybe five or six through mm-hmm. high school, fell off like, in college, picked it up again. And, you know, once I made my roommates were kind of like watching during sort of peak attitude era. So mm-hmm. I watched it through, you know, my junior and senior college into, you know, a few years after that. Um, but I, w- I was never like a rabid collector in terms okay. of toy hey. magazines and posters um, but since we started, right, you know, writing this series going on 10 years, I have like, you know, and Ed does as well. We have pretty significant libraries. Like I've probably, I don't know, Ed, like each of us has probably read 25, 30 books about wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, favorite wrestler. Um, Matt, why don't you answer that? I have a, uh barking dog situation <laughs> behind the curtain uh, <laughs> my, mine has always been uh randy savage the macho, macho man. man the man macho man, man. good yeah. that's about it that's about the extent of what i know I, I know yeah. Hulk Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I say he was just sort of like a total package uh you know when i was a kid hogan was great on the mic but his ring skills left a lot to be desired blasphemy uh, <laughs> 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 Whereas, you know, like uh, WrestleMania 3, everyone knows the best match is Steamboat Savage. Cause, yeah, know, yeah. Savage could do it all. And also, you know, I didn't understand 75% of what the dude was saying during his interview. <laughs> but he was just so compelling, you know, on camera <laughs> that, you know, I'm, I was just glued to the TV. That's amazing. Uh, Ed, did we get the dog under control or no? Uh, let's see. We're still working on it here. That's okay. That's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way to mask that now that we're after the podcast goes live. No, <laughs> I'm telling, I'm actually literally lying to you right now. Uh, so where can, uh, where's that technology going to come from? Yeah, it's not going to happen. Where can people find it and where can people find you online? Well, they can, uh, we are currently available, uh, on comiXology. Mm-hmm. And you just look up Invasion from Planet WrestleTopia on Comixology. Um, Ed and I are on Twitter at SBP 
underscore comics. And we are we have a website, suspiciousbehaviorproductions.com. Have fun typing all that into <laughs> the uh, and then me personally. Uh, I don't tweet all that often, but I'm on Twitter and I am at the Matt Enton. Very, very cool. Uh, well, as I mentioned to you guys, we actually had guests on last week. I butchered the name of your comic, but I did tell them to go check it out. And Mega Ran, who is supposedly a big wrestling fan, is checking out your, your comics as we speak. Awesome. And uh, maybe Hi, we'll Mega follow Ran. up with him. What's that? Hi, Mega Ran. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we wish you nothing but success. Uh, and anytime you guys got something going on, please, uh, please drop us a line. Awesome, yeah, awesome. We, we hope to have issues four through six finish. Well, they will be finished this year in, in more timely fashion than we did the first three <laughs> um, on Comixology with exclusive uh, bonus content. Uh, most of the issues will have something exclusive that you won't see uh, reprinted when we do the trade. And the trade will have six issues. It will go to print. And in that, the trade itself will have some exclusive bonus material so if you bought the single issues, you won't you won't be disappointed. You'll get something really cool for buying the trade. Um, so yeah, and we'll, and we'll 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 keep sending them your way. We really appreciate uh, being on. Thank you for having us. Well, definitely, like I said, it caught my attention and it was really good. I definitely encourage everyone to go check it out. It's Ed and Matt Invasion from Pre from Planet Wrestletopia from Suspicious Behavior Productions. When we come back, we go spinning the racks. Welcome back to Secrets of the Sire. Secrets of the Sire is brought to you by all of our beloved patrons, new fan Craig Caruso, dedicated fans, Einar Peterson, Matt Beyer, Ashley Haikai, and Oma Morales, our program director, Stephanie Dolce, and as always, our uber fan, Christina Dolce. Uh, find us on patreon.com slash secrets of the sire. That goes along with facebook.com, uh, soundcloud.com, uh, youtube.com slash secrets of the sire. Find us on Twitter at sire underscore studios. Instagram is sire studios as well. Uh, I want to thank our guest, uh, Ed and Matt, creators of the outrageously awesome comic book invasion from Planet WrestleTopia. Go out there. It's, it's on Comixology. Uh, go download it. It's awesome. Definitely check it out. All right. We do this every week. We go spinning the racks. Spin the racks. Spin the racks. Marvel reveals Avengers Endgame re-release details. Don't call it a comeback. It's a bring-back event, apparently. Uh, Marvel Studios has announced exactly what will be included in the upcoming release of Avengers Endgame. For those hoping to see an extended cut of the movie, it might be a little underwhelming. Uh, the re-release, officially being called a bring-back event, will feature the movie in its original cut, accompanied by a video introduction by director Anthony Russo, a statement from Marvel, and will show an unfinished deleted scene from the film. Uh, additionally, a sneak peek of the following week's Spider-Man Far From Home will be included. Participating theaters will also be giving away an exclusive poster featuring the Iron Man gauntlet and the tagline, We Love You 3000. News that the movie was headed back to theaters first emerged last week with Kevin Feige teasing it would feature new footage. Uh, it comes as the movie approaches the record held for highest grossing movie of all time, which is Avatar. Uh, cash grab? Hassan, cash, cash, yes. cash grab. Yes. Like, actually, let's not even use the word cash shameless, grab. Shameless cash grab. Shameless Look, record it, chasing. It doesn't even count. It wouldn't even count. It might. It will count. It will. It would totally count uh, box office wise, and everybody will con consider it a count box office wise. Just in my opinion, it's like you have to re-release it with gimmickry. Yeah. To get it over the top, you just didn't make it this time. Make a better movie next time. Yeah, yeah. You know? I kind I kind of look at it that way too. I kind of look at it like, and I loved I loved Endgame. I think Endgame is a great movie. I've seen it a couple of times. Uh, it's a great movie. And I usually I'm not I'm not one of these people who praise a movie. Like if if it comes out and it's really good, I I'll, I'll usually still only see it once and say, hey, that was really good. I, was, I you know I really enjoyed it. I think I've only seen Logan twice. You know. Yeah. Um, Whereas a movie like Braveheart, some movies that capture my imagination, I've seen that probably 12, 13, maybe 20 times. So, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, an endgame I've seen maybe 
four times in total. And in counting, I, I, I want to go back. You've you know? seen it four so, times? Yeah, I've seen it four times. Jesus. Wow. That's how, that's how that happens. But um, I'm kind of impressed. Huh? I'm not even yeah. mad. I'm kind of <laughs> I've seen it four times. Now, uh, it, it being a great movie, if it didn't beat Avatar, it didn't beat Avatar. It's right. a different time, a different era, but you're going to bring it back out, and you're not even going to give us a different cut of the movie. I, I know. I don't want to give you a different cut, because if, you give it, if they give us a different cut, it's te technically a different release. This is a bring-back event. Right. Which, to it's me, it's really funny. I feel like there's still some theaters showing it anyway. There are. Yeah. So it doesn't... It, it's It's... I don't know if that's if that's how if that's what they do. I mean, maybe James Cameron was on the phone, Kevin Feige, and he was laughing at him and saying like, "You'll never beat me" and stuff. And that's <laughs> like, yeah, I could I could picture James Cameron doing that because I could too. You I know, do. and they're I like, feel. "Oh yeah, we'll 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 beat you, buddy. We'll show you." But I don't know. I think so, I think three. I think Avatar. The thing is, the problem that Avatar gets the the the, the treatment that Avatar gets. It's the same. It's the James Cameron treatment, and. A lot of people say this, and I kind of agree with it. Do not make the mistake of betting against James Cameron. Because really, honestly, with the exception of The Abyss, and that's only because of the box No, no, and what was the, what was the uh, Battle Angel make, Alita? He didn't make that movie. He yeah, I know. It. He produced it, though. So he didn't direct it, so that doesn't count. Sure. With the exception of uh, The Abyss, and that's just box office-wise, because The Abyss is a great movie. And I will I stand by that. It's a fantastic movie. He doesn't make bad movies. Yeah. I've never seen a bad James. Well, maybe maybe Piranha too, but uh, you know that's you know that's that's neither here nor there. So here's the one tidbit from this article that I actually thought Peter was Jackson more. Peter Jackson made, uh, made made puppet movies. So I mean, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's it just happens. Here's Here's a tidbit I thought was pretty interesting from this article, the two. Um, in talking about the Bring Back event arrives Friday ahead of next week's Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, it says that is a movie, talking about Spider-Man Far From Home, that Feige has recently described as the true end of the entire Infinity Saga in that it deals with the impact of, spoilers, a certain uh, someone's death on Peter Parker and the world at large. Uh, the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe beyond that point remains unofficially unofficial. And at this rate, expecting a true, true end of the Infinity Saga in a future movie might not be entirely out of the question. That's kind of a mistake, though, to say that, though. What do you think? I, it kind of it, it is a mistake, right? And then they part of it They should call Spider-Man the beginning of Phase 4. I guess... Two. Instead of saying this is the end of something... You could say it's the say epilogue. It's the, I guess you could say no, it's the say, say, say it's the beginning of something, so that when you go and you enjoy it, yeah. you're like, oh, Phase 4 is going to be... You know, because a lot of speculation is you'll never be able to get us past phase three. Yeah. Never get, you'll never get what you already had without Iron Man, without, without uh, Captain America, and, and theoretically without Thor. Well, we, we don't know yet. We don't know how much of Guardians of the Galaxy Thor is going to be part of, right? So instead of saying, this is the end of the last, try to capitalize on the, on the, and now look, I'm not, I, I just spent an entire segment praising Kevin Feige and, 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 um, the MCU. But instead of saying this is the end of something, say it's the beginning of something new. That way, if Spider-Man becomes a billion-dollar movie, you're like, yeah, Phase 4 is off to a strong start. You know? It, it properly closed out Phase 3, and it's off to a super strong start. Yeah. But I don't know. But it seems like they want, they, they want to make sure that Spider-Man is seen to be married to the Avengers uh, the Avengers three and four um, phenomenon so that it, it, it carries them over a particular line to the end of the, you know, to the end of the year. I can see that. Yeah, you know, they got nothing happening until, uh, until Star Wars, you know? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, seems like, uh, <laughs> it seems like maybe that's what the point is, but I don't know. I well, have no idea. Spider -Man I mean, I would, I just personally wouldn't have done it that way. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. We, we actually get, we get a little bit of a break next week. We don't, because we'll still be here. But um, we get that we get that momentary pause between Spider-Man: Far From Home and uh, and Stranger Things. But before we do, in other news, transparent creator Jill Soloway to write and direct Red Sonia. According to Deadline, 
Millennium Films has set transparent creator Jill Soloway to write and direct Red Sonia, a film that went back to the drawing board earlier this year after Brian Singer was dropped as director. Soloway Why is coming. No. Why would they drop Brian Singer? Oh, you don't know all. Have you not read about all his creepy, awful behavior? Do you think I'm being serious or do you think oh. I'm being sarcastic? Oh, that was. That Why, was so I wonder. Why would you take a brilliant director like Kevin, like Brian Singer off? So here's the thing: if anybody listens to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, that legit you're you are not being sarcastic enough because I if actually anybody, am not. I was, if anybody listens to our previous podcast, they know how I feel about Brian Singer. <laughs> so. Yeah. Soloway is coming in with a bold new take and gives the film much better optics that already has studios approaching Millennium. Soloway's Topple Productions uh, partner, Andrea Sperling, is also coming aboard as producer. You know why Red Sonja is happening, right? Because of Wonder Woman and because of Captain Marvel and because of uh, the, 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 the uh, what is it, Red Sparrow remake. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. The Black Widow movie. Um, mm. <laughs> so, so that's why we're getting a Red Sonja movie. And I'm not even talking about like, oh, it's a capitalization on feminism. I have completely not lost even whether you're being that. serious or not. I can't, I can't even tell. I can't I'm even saying tell. that why are you resurrecting Red Sonia? You know, if you're going to be any property, why do you... The, the, listen, I think this is just me. I'm probably 100% wrong, and I will admit it when I am proven so. I'm going to capture believe, that. I'm going to capture that as a uh, no, bit. How are we not? We're recording the whole thing. I believe that the maybe partially justified, questionable, though, you know, unfortunate backlash to Game of Thrones ending, mm -hmm. a temporary kibosh on all fantasy sword and sandals kind of movies for the, for the time being. That is so, a kibosh. Kibosh. Yeah. And you so, kibosh. Kibosh is... Kibosh. Yeah, kibosh is different. I, don't, I never say bash. Kibosh is like a, a beach kibosh. I said kibosh. I don't know what you're. I don't know what you're talking about, but anyway, we have it on record. I can't wait. I can't wait to replay it. Uh, please do. That will be a joke too. I've never said kibosh in my entire we, life. We can literally cut. I am willing to admit I'm 100 percent wrong. Beach kibosh. Just, just that, just that. We'll cut it together. That'll be a ring. That'll be my ringtone. Oh, some. Anyway, I'm 100 percent wrong. Beach kibosh. Someone's calling me right now. All right, when. <laughs> When we return next week, actually, before we even return next week, if you're in the New York City area, July 2nd, come on down to the Chelsea area. Uh, we will be speaking. Uh, Sci-Fi's sci creator, Ramon Gill, does these amazing uh, comic book meetup groups. Uh, we can, it'll be all over our website and all over our Facebook page, so go check it out. Uh, we will be the guests of honor this Tuesday, July 2nd, so please check us out. Uh, we'll be talking about our podcast. We'll be talking about, you know, all the cool things we do, basically. And uh, Ramon thought it was worthy of putting us in front of a room full of people. So if you are in the New York City area, July 2nd, uh, there's about, it's at Simple Studios, 134 West 29th Street in New York. And then Ramon will be our guest next week as we discuss Stranger Things and Spider-Man Homecoming. We're going to preview both, and we're going to pit them against each other, which one will be the king of the summer. Secrets of the sun.